when Jesus broke the grave, he broke the curse of sin. He broke the grip of fear and he broke the power of death. In fact, if you're taking notes today, I want you to catch this thought that Easter reminds us that death is swallowed up in victory. Easter reminds us that death is swallowed up in victory. You see, I I just personally believe that victory is the overarching theme of Easter. Right, That, that what looked like death didn't end in death. That what looked like defeat didn't end in defeat. That dead things don't have to stay dead because there's hope of new life. Right, so Easter is this reminder to us that victory is the empty tomb, that the grave didn't win. Easter is this great reminder to us that victory, true victory, real victory is only ever found in and through the person of Jesus Christ, that he's our champion, he's our overcomer, he's our victory, and that the good news is that his victory is our victory. Meaning that because of his victory over sin and death, you and I can experience this victory too. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter to you. Come on, aren't you glad to know that death is defeated because Jesus is risen? Isn't that the best news? Come on, today we celebrate what we believe to be the greatest event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus. Today, Christians all around the world are gathering together to celebrate that Jesus is not dead, but that he is alive. Come on, everybody, that's some really good news, right? Some really good news. But you know, the truth is, that even though today is a global holiday, uh, there are a whole lot of people who are not celebrating Easter like we are. There are a lot of people who uh, just don't know what to do with Easter because they don't know what to do with Jesus. They don't know what to do with the claims that he made about himself, that he was God. They don't know what to do with the claims that he suffered and died for the sins of the world and that that includes their own sins. They don't know what to do with the claims that he's risen from the dead and the implications that that reality would have on their own life. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe there's some of you in here today that you you can relate to that fact. Like you know what it's like to see Easter coming around on the calendar and you're not entirely sure each year what to do with this holiday because you're not entirely sure what to do with Jesus. How many of y'all know that in 2022, there are a lot of different ideas and thoughts that people have out there about who Jesus really is? So let me just stop for a minute to acknowledge the tension that can at times be felt in us and that can certainly be felt around us when it comes to Jesus. See, I think that we all understand that Jesus is one of the most controversial figures of all time and that he remains controversial even today. I think we all understand that Jesus is certainly an enduring figure in human history. Like the world just can't seem to get rid of him. Am I right? Like he has withstood the test of time. Jesus has endured the test of time. 2,000 years later, he's still here, and it doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon. But I think because of this, you know, everywhere we look, it just seems like, like many different people have different thoughts and ideas and opinions on Jesus, ideas and thoughts about what he taught, about what his mission really was, thoughts and ideas about what he should be called. And so it seems like so much of the world would have an idea, an opinion, or a story about Jesus, and even people who have chosen to, chosen to not follow him would have an opinion about him. Am I right? And so I think that because of this, 
You know, today, many different people are experiencing Easter in many different ways. In a 2013 Time Magazine article listing the 100 most influential people of all time, somewhat surprisingly, Time Magazine gives Jesus the top spot. Just ahead of uh, Napoleon, Muhammad, Aristotle, and Alexander the Great, seven spots higher than Adolf Hitler. Now, in terms of global, widespread influence, that's not necessarily a bad list to be on, especially if that's what you're going for, right? But when I read this article and was, was, was looking at how they put Jesus at the top spot, it, it kind of struck me. I started to think that, you know, Time Magazine is essentially admitting to us all that without question, Jesus of Nazareth has single-handedly changed the course of human history and that it's undeniable, it's undeniable. What they're basically saying, they're not claiming that he was God, but what they're saying, it's undeniable that something happened a really, really long time ago that is still affecting us and impacting us today. It's undeniable. You can't deny that. In his book, Jesus Through the Centuries, Yaroslav Pelikan says this. He says, regardless of what anyone may think or believe about him, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. It's from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars, B.C., A.D. It is by his name that millions curse and in his name that millions pray. Man, I love this thought. And I think what Pelican is getting at here in this quote is he's saying, hey, like people can speculate all they want about who Jesus is, but they can't speculate about the impact he has had on this world. How many of y'all know that you're a pretty important person when your birthday literally splits time in half? Like that's, it's kind of, kind of a big deal. And so I think that all of us could agree that, man, 2,000 years later, Jesus is still impacting us today. Like he's still having an effect on us all this time later. And, and I believe, my belief is that the reason why Jesus is still impacting us today is because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. In Luke's gospel in the 24th chapter, we see Luke start to tell us about the, the immediate hours in the aftermath of the crucifixion of Jesus and how this death of Jesus had such an impact on his followers that his followers were distraught, they were confused, they were disillusioned, they had put all their hope and faith that Jesus would be this long-awaited Messiah, and now... They are devastated, and many of them are hiding out in fear of their own life, that they will get the same type of execution that Jesus got. And so in Luke 24, the great physician Luke writes, and he tells us that the women who were followers of Jesus came to the tomb very early on that very first Sunday, that very first Easter Sunday morning, with spices prepared to put on Jesus' body to mask the odor of a decomposing body. They expected to find Jesus dead and the smell that would come with that. And so they arrived at the tomb that day. Luke 24, verse 1 says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. Now, I don't know about you, but if I, if I approach a tomb with the, the stone rolled away, I'm not walking in. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not walking in. It says they, they entered, they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. These are two angels, by the way. 
The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. You know, in this story, what we see is we see these, these, uh, these two angels really encountering these, these women who were followers of Jesus and, 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 and essentially telling them this, that Jesus has broken the grave. That's essentially the conversation, that Jesus has broken the grave, that he is risen. And, and what's, what's you know, amazing here about this, this, this story is they really ask this very startling question to them. They say, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is risen? It's like they're saying, hey, don't you understand? Don't you understand that like this was the plan all along? Don't you understand that he's not here? Don't you understand that he is risen? Don't you understand that he has broken the grave? And I think what you and I have to be very careful to make sure we pull out of the story today is that when Jesus broke the grave, he broke the curse of sin. He broke the grip of fear and he broke the power of death. In fact, if you're taking notes today, I want you to catch this thought that Easter reminds us that death is swallowed up in victory. Easter reminds us that death is swallowed up in victory. You see, I I just personally believe that victory is the overarching theme of Easter. Right, That, that what looked like death didn't end in death. That what looked like defeat didn't end in defeat. That dead things don't have to stay dead because there's hope of new life, right? So Easter is this reminder to us that victory is the empty tomb, that the grave didn't win. Easter is this great reminder to us that victory, true victory, real victory is only ever found in and through the person of Jesus Christ, that he's our champion, he's our overcomer, he's our victory, and that the good news is that his victory is our victory, Meaning that because of his victory over sin and death, you and I can experience this victory too. If you're taking notes today, I want you to look at this thought. Easter isn't just a holiday to celebrate, but a power to experience. And that's what I mean this morning as I opened up, that there are a lot of people out there celebrating Easter, but they're not celebrating it like we are. It's not just a holiday to celebrate, it is a power to experience. The Apostle Paul writes these famous words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, He says, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beautiful language. I love what Paul is saying here. I think what Paul is saying is he's saying, hey, you know, real victory, true victory is only ever found through the finished work of Jesus on the cross that is both now and yet to come. Paul understands that like true victory, you know, that there is an eternal victory in heaven someday, for sure, and we thank God for that. But Paul also understands that there is a present victory for all of us in the here and now. That God wants to change our lives in the here and now. And, and so what I love about 1 Corinthians 15 is, is I think that this is just language that just describes the beauty of, of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel, that Jesus did something for you that no one else has ever done for you. That Jesus took upon himself your penalty and your sin that had to be paid for, and he paid the price. Romans 6.23 is, hands down, it's, one, it's just one of my favorite verses of all time. And Paul writes this, and he says, for the wages of sin is death. You know, you know it, right? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this verse. It's one of my all-time favorites. You know what my favorite part of this verse is? You know what my favorite part of the verse is? 
Look at it. It's the comma. Like, I love the comma. It, I, read, I read this, Paul says, hey, you know, like, like, like the payment, the payment for sin, it's, it's death. The payment for sin, it's, it's, it's being completely separated from God forever, comma. He's saying, like, there, there's more to be said on the matter, though. Aren't you glad when you read this verse that there's not a period after death, there is a comma. There's more to be said on the matter. Paul says, hey, you know, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, everybody, is eternal life, not in being a good person, not in doing a bunch of good works, not in just having, you know, good morals. He says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm just here today to tell you that this is the gospel. This is what we call the good news of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the, you know that the Christians in the first century did not come up with the term gospel, which means good news? They actually borrowed it from the Romans. They borrowed it from the Romans. The word gospel was, was commonly used in the Roman Empire in the first century. They used it for all kinds of different purposes. One of the ways they used that word was, uh, was, was uh, really in terms of battle. And so when the Romans were, were uh, you know, fighting their battles all around the Roman Empire, whenever they would win, people would be sent, sent out as messengers shouting out the good news or the gospel, Roma Victor, Roma Victor, Rome is victor. Rome is victorious. Like the battle is secure. So that all the citizens of Rome could now be confident in peace, of peace. And so when the, when the early church was looking for language to really describe all that Jesus had done, they found language for this in the term gospel. But for them, instead of, instead of spreading the good news or the gospel that Rome is victorious, they spread the message of Christus Victor because for them the true gospel, the true good news, was that Jesus has been victorious. And so this small, marginalized, you know, early church, they moved out into Rome with this message that Jesus is the true victor. And if you want to follow all of these other gods, you will waste your life. But if you follow Jesus, you will find life in all of its fullness. You will find real, true victory. That was their message. And so again, if you're taking notes today, the message that they carried out into the known world was that everyone who was born of God overcomes the world and experiences victory. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, he says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. What is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I, I, I mean, I love, this is powerful language here that we're reading. What John is, is saying, what he is speaking about is this victory that you and I can possess as long as we have been born of God. If we believe, if we give ourselves over to King Jesus. And I think the reason why all this matters, the reason why I come today with a message burning in my heart for you today is because I, I just believe that we all long to move from this place of defeat to a place of victory. We all long to move from this place of defeat to this place of victory. How many of y'all know that life at times can be pretty tough? How many of y'all know that life at times can be super difficult? How many of y'all have ever gone through some things in your life you didn't plan on going through? Anybody? Am I the only one, right? There's a lot of us in here. All of us have experienced times of, de of defeat. All of us have experienced times of discouragement, times where things are just not going according to plan, and maybe that's where some of you are at right now as you sit here today. And I think that if you were to be honest with yourself this morning, I think you'd have to admit that there is a deep longing that, exi that exists within you for victory. 
Sometimes that longing is about things that are circumstantial. Like if I could just fix these circumstances, then I would be at a place where I feel like, man, I feel like I'm experiencing victory. I feel like I'm living life the way I, I'd love to live life. Sometimes that longing for victory is about things that are in your heart, things that nobody else knows about. Like, man, if I could just get freedom here, if I could just let this go, I'd, that's what true victory would really be for me. So sometimes the longing for victory is small. Sometimes that longing for victory is big. But I just believe that there is an inevitable ache that exists within the human experience and story that we're all longing to live from this place of victory in our lives. First John tells us very clearly in 1 John 5 that if we have been born of God, we have victory. We have overcome the world. You know, you know what John's talking about here? Like, I want to make sure you understand. He's not talking about victory over people. You know, we understand that that's how the world can be used sometimes. Like John 3, 16, when... You know, John writes and says, for God so loved the world. He's talking about all people everywhere who have ever lived. That's not what he's saying here in 1 John 5. He's also, it also, you know, you know sometimes is, is used to talk about like the created world. John's not talking about the cosmos here. John is really talking about sin. He is talking about sin. He is talking about the, the evil system of the world that we all find ourselves bound to. And he is telling us that if we have been born of God, that we have victory over sin, we have victory over the evil systems of the world. And yet, you know what's interesting about uh, th this letter of 1 John? One of the overarching themes found in this letter is to not be led astray. It, it's, it's, it's wild. It's, it's, it's crazy. Like, like he tells them that they have victory, tells them they've overcome the world, and yet he spends like, like a ton of time telling them to not be led astray. He tells them to ignore the false ideas, the different heresies that are spreading around the church, the false voices and the false visions that are trying to lead them away from the truth. You wanna know why John is writing this, warning to them? You wanna know why he's writing this? Here's why, because, because false voices and false visions offer victory too. That's why he's telling them. That's why he's telling them to be so, so careful to, to not be led astray. He's telling them, yeah, you've got victory if you've been born of God. He's saying, yeah, you, you've got victory over evil and things, but he's saying you've got to be very careful to not be led astray, to not follow false visions and false voices because those things offer victory too. How many of y'all know that there are a lot of things that we chase to try to give meaning to our lives? There are false voices and false visions of what victory is. That victory is making as, mon as much money as you can. That victory is getting ahead. That victory is climbing the ladder of success, buying the car, buying the house, accumulating all that you can, pursuing all the things that you desire. That true victory is being your authentic self and just doing whatever it is that makes you happy. That victory is found in the relationship, that it's found in the marriage, that it's found in the party or the letting go and the giving in. But the thing about these false voices and these false visions of victory is that they just feel so real. You wanna know why they feel so real? It's because they enter into the emptiness and the emptiness is real. They enter into the pain and the pain is real. They enter into the confusion and the confusion is real. They enter into the brokenness and the brokenness is real. They enter into the human desire to live for ourselves and that, my friends, is very, very real. But as many of you have figured out by now, the false voices and the false visions of victory, they offer a victory that they cannot deliver. You wanna know why? 
You want to know why they promise something that they can't deliver? All of these false voices and false visions call for a victory void of the substance of Jesus. Look at this, this big thought if you're taking notes today. Any vision of victory that is void of the substance of Jesus, it's hollow and it's deceptive. Like it just doesn't work. It does not work. And what I'm here today to tell you, you know, wherever you're at in your life, whatever you're facing, whatever you are walking through right now, what I'm here today to tell you is that you are going to have to decide at different moments and different seasons in your life when victory seems to be pending, when, when victory is not a guarantee, when you're not sure how things are gonna work out, you're gonna have to decide in those seasons and those moments which voice you're gonna listen to, which voice you are going to follow. Because I'm here today to tell you that there's a lot of other voices and there's a lot of other visions of what victory is. But responding to the only voice that really matters, the voice of God, I think is what brings the kind of victory that we all long for deep down inside. I want to show you something in the Old Testament here today. Ezekiel chapter 37 is just an incredible, just an incredible story. And we see this encounter, this conversation between the prophet Ezekiel and God himself. And it says in verse 1 that the hand of the Lord was upon me, Ezekiel says, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. This famous story of the valley of dry bones where Ezekiel has been brought out into this valley and he is surrounded by dead bones. I mean, it's an entire army that has been, been killed and left there. They weren't buried, so they've been there long enough for everything to decay. I'm just giving you some detail. To decay, right? To where it's just dry bones that remain on the, on the, uh, on the floor of this valley. And the Spirit of the Lord brings Ezekiel to this valley and he asks him this very interesting question. He says, Son of man, can these bones live? Can they live again? Like, like, that's a pretty tough question, right? That's, that's, that's not an easy question to be asked. Like, 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 God is asking Ezekiel something that just, like, challenges everything we think we know and everything we think we understand. I, I mean, defeat isn't only inevitable here in this story. Man, defeat has already happened. And God says, hey, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And what I love about this interaction between God and Ezekiel is that the only opinion Ezekiel is interested in is hearing the voice of God, is hearing God's opinion on the matter. He says, you alone know. You know, Ezekiel doesn't go and say, hey, let me, let me, let me check on that. He doesn't say, hey, let me, let me ask some friends. Let me see, you know, maybe there's some friends of mine, some historians that might be able to tell me if this, something like this has ever happened again. Maybe, maybe there's some rumors. I think, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. He's not interested in knowing what other people might think about these dead bones and about this defeat that has happened. He's not interested in, 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 in knowing if other people think that a resurrection can happen in this valley of dry bones. What he is interested in knowing is God's opinion on the matter. And I'm just here today to tell you that there will be seasons in your life where, where you are going to have to decide. Different moments, different seasons, we're gonna have to decide when victory is pending, when victory is not guaranteed in your life, which voice you're gonna follow. It's impossible for you and I to go through life without hearing other voices and other visions of what victory is. But it is one thing to hear another voice, and it is, it is one thing to hear another voice, and it is another to follow that voice. 
I say all that because, you know, so many people believe that God's whole goal and that the whole goal of Christianity is just to make a bad person good. That's what a lot of people think. That's, that's like the common thought out there in the world is that the whole goal of Christianity and the whole goal of God is to just make bad people good. Stop doing the bad stuff and start doing some good stuff. Maybe you're here today and you actually struggle with that thinking because you don't necessarily see yourself as a bad person. In many ways, you probably see yourself as a, a good person, but what I want you to know is that Jesus did not come to just change your bad behavior. Jesus came to change your life. Came to change your life. If there is ever a message that Easter can communicate, it is this, if you're taking notes, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Following Jesus is not about moralism. Following Jesus is not about being a good person. Following Jesus isn't about doing all the good things that you can do in this life and then, then maybe you have somehow qualified yourself for eternity in heaven with God. If that were the case, how in the world does the thief on the cross make it? Where did he have any time to do anything that was good? All that he had time for was to acknowledge that Jesus was the son of the living God. And Jesus looked at him and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to take the brokenness that exists in you and in me and make the ruins come to life. He wanted to take the areas of your life that are dead and in decay and getting worse and give you true victory by making them live again. For some of you, that's your marriage. And for some of you, that's your emotions. And for some of you, it's all the different struggles that you've brought with you today. For others of you, it's issues in your body. And for some of us in here today, it's the issues that exist deep in your soul. Look, Easter exists to provide power for you like Jesus to come alive as well. That's what, that's what Easter exists for. To provide power for you like Jesus to come alive as well. I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He says that Easter is death working backwards. So instead of going from life to eventual death, C.S. Lewis says you can go from death, that which is broken and not working, and you can move from what was dead back to life. If you're taking notes today, here's, here's a great thought. The resurrection of Jesus gives you the power to have life return to the parts of you that have been broken. The resurrection of Jesus gives you the power to have life return to the parts of you that have been broken. And I don't know where you are at today. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what life looks like. I don't know the exact context. I don't know what you brought with you. I don't know what your emotions are like. I don't know what the, what, what the heavy things are. I don't know what the story or the headline news of your life is. But what I know is that the resurrection of Jesus wasn't just a one-time event. The resurrection power wasn't just a one-time thing. The resurrection power exists today to breathe life into the areas of your life and of mine that are not working right, that are dead, that are dying, and that are in decay. Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes these, these, these uh, incredible words. He says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
Look at these words. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Don't you, don't you, like we talked about the cross last week, and what really they were doing is making a public spectacle of him, a mockery of him, and, and yet what we find through Paul is that when Jesus is on the cross, he's making a public spectacle of his enemies and authorities, and he's actually triumphing. He's having victory. He's experiencing victory over them through the cross. This language that Paul is using, he's referring to something that people would have understood and known in the first century in the Roman Empire. He's referring to what was called a triumphant entry and a public spectacle. And the way this worked was, you know, when, when emperors and, and kings, people like Octavian or, you know, Julius Caesar, uh, Caesar Augustus, these, these conquering emperors would fight their battles in other regions and parts of the world, they would eventually have to come back to Rome. And when they would come back to Rome, they would bring with them the spoils of war. So when they had, had victory in Egypt, in Alexandria, they would bring you know, items and artifacts that would, that would be, they'd be able to, to show uh, all the people back in Rome that they really did win, that they really did have victory. And so as they would enter into the city, there would be this long parade, people lined on both sides, the emperor leading his army into the city with the celebration and the spoils of war uh, behind them following in tow. At the very end of the parade though, at the very end of the parade were the defeated pharaohs and kings and emperors and generals of all of these other nations that they had had victory over. They were stripped, they were naked, they were chained, and they were defeated. This was a public spectacle. All the people of Rome watching as these other people who had once had great power now had none. Watching on from the crowd as these, these, these once formidable foes have been conquered and led through the city, stripped, chained, beaten, completely defeated. And so imagine this. Like, like Paul is in prison writing this, by the way. He's, he writes the letter of Colossians from a prison cell in Rome. And what he's doing here is he is telling us that Jesus has essentially done the same thing. He has had his own triumphant entry. He has made his own public spectacle of his enemies. And that his enemies, the enemies of Jesus, are at the end of this procession. They're at the end of this parade. They are stripped, they are chained, and they are defeated. And Paul is basically asking all of us, hey, can you see it? As Jesus is passing by, can you see it? Like, there goes death. There goes death, do you see it? Now held captive to King Jesus. As you look out, can you see it? There goes fear. It's, 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 it's going right by. Can you see it in tow? It's following in the procession. Jesus' victory. Can you see death? Can you see fear? Can you see hatred? Can you see racism? Can you see darkness? Can you see all the marriage troubles? Can you see the issues in your body? Can you see the struggles in their life? There it goes. There it goes. It, it's, it's following right on by. It's held captive to King Jesus. He's made a public spectacle of them. Can you look out and see the public spectacle of God's enemies as they are now stripped, defeated, and chained? Can, can you see them? And I'm just here today to tell you that there is only one who is victorious. 
There is only one who has the authority to ever grant you victory. And I think what Paul is saying, saying, hey, why? Why would you trust the voices of the very things that have already been defeated by Jesus? Why, why, would, you, why would we do that? Why would we follow all of these other visions of victory and all of these other voices of victory when they have already been conquered and defeated by Jesus? Why would we do that? And listen, I, I just want you to know that when you decide to hold fast to the one who is triumphant, King Jesus, victory will begin to manifest in your life. When you hold tight, when you hold fast to Jesus, victory is going to start to leak out. It's going to start to flow out of you. Victory will start to manifest in and through your life. And so are there some voices that you've been listening to? Are there some other visions of victory that you've been chasing and following? Where in your life right now, as you stand here today, as you sit here today, where in your life do you need some victory? Where do you need victory? Where do you need to be set free? John chapter 11, as I close, Jesus says this. He's speaking to Mary and Martha as he's arrived at the house. Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead. Spoiler alert, right? He's there because Lazarus has died. And he's speaking to the sisters of Lazarus. And Lazarus, and they're going, yeah, 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 I know. Like, like, hey, this is bad, but hey, there's hope in the future, the resurrection of the dead. I know that's our future. And Jesus looks at her like very clearly and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then the question of all questions, the, the showstopper, the most important question you will ever be asked in your life, do you believe this? Do you believe this, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and that when you believe in him, even though you eventually die, you will live. Do you believe this? Will you stand with me this morning? Every head bowed for a moment. I just want to take a couple minutes as we get ready to close. And I don't, listen, this is just a private moment between you and King Jesus. You're here today. Eyes are bowed. Our, our eyes are closed, heads are bowed, no one's looking around, this is your moment. And I, I don't, like I said earlier, I don't know where you are, but I know that Jesus makes a pretty audacious claim about himself in John 11, when he says that he is the resurrection and the life. And that when you believe this, you'll live even though you die and asks that question, do you believe? And I'm just here today to ask the question, do you believe this? And I don't know, maybe you came here today and, and you've yet to put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus. You've, hate, you, you've yet to really, really surrender control of your life over to King Jesus. Like, like, like remember the words of the Apostle John, that victory is for those who have been born of God. And you're saying today, Pastor Jordan, is the day. Like, I, it's time for me to stop fighting. It's time for me to just give over control. You know, you know what people, people struggle? Like, I, I do this sermon every year. Like, like, Similar to this, you know, there's only so many messages you can give on Easter before they start sounding the same. And it's one of the great challenges of being a pastor is, is you got to give the gospel. And I've given this, I give messages like this year after year after year, and I always see people wrestling with the tension of like, am I going to believe or not? 
Am I gonna give over control or not? Because most of the time, people only have a vision of what they're losing and they don't have a vision of what they're gaining. And I want you to understand this morning that when you give control of your life to Jesus, you are gaining far more than you are losing. And what you are gaining does not even come close to comparing to that which you are losing. And so every head bowed today, I just wanna ask you, is it time for you to choose to believe in Jesus. And if that's you today, could I just see your hand come up in the room? I just wanna, no one else can see this. This is, this is me with you today and, and, and us and God. If you're trying to put, you're wanting to put your faith, your hope, your trust in Jesus, accept him to be king of your life. I want you just to pray these prayer, this prayer with me. Everybody in the room, Jesus, Jesus, I come to you now, willing and ready to turn from all the other things I have chased and to put my faith, hope, and trust in you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. I die to my old self, and I thank you for the promise that I am now resurrected to new life in you. Thank you that I am never the same. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Man, if that's you and you prayed that prayer, come on, let's just give Jesus a round of applause in here today. One more minute. I wanna pray for those of you who are here and you just need victory. Let's just have another moment here. Take, take this moment with Jesus. And you're here today and it's, it's like, man, there are just some things going on in your life, some issues going on in, in your body, some issues going on in your emotions, some struggles you've brought with you, some hopelessness some feelings of defeat, and you are desperate for victory. Could I just pray for you today? Could I just, just try to minister encouragement over you and over your spirit today, if that's you? And you need some, you need some hope, you need some encouragement. Can I, can I just see your hand so I know where you're at? Yeah, right now, right now, the hand's going up. Jesus, you're not alone in here today, if that's you. There, just one more moment, lift your hand up if you need encouragement from King Jesus. Lord, I ask now, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd step into the room and start to change stories. You start to change outcomes. I thank you that Easter reminds us that what looked like defeat did not end in defeat. I thank you that Easter reminds us that uh, dead things don't have to stay dead. And so I just speak life over every situation right now where death has claimed victory, where defeat has claimed victory. And I ask God that you would minister transformation right now, that victory would come to every person under the sound of my voice. I ask that hope would start to flood across this room, that we would feel and experience our spirit standing up, our spirit rising to the moment because freedom has come to your kids. Freedom has come to those who have put their faith their hope and trust in you. I ask God that you would go with us, that you would be the lifter of every head, those who are downcast, those who are discouraged. And I pray that as we walk out of here, oh God, we would be people, carriers of this victory in Jesus' name. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you that because of you, death is defeated, that Jesus is risen. And may we never, ever lose sight of that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen.